Promo Kitchen is an all-volunteer, nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org slash donate. Thank you so much, and let's get started with the show. Today's Promo Kitchen podcast is brought to you by PPAI's Get In Touch campaign at the PPAI Expo, which is coming up January 13th to the 17th, 2019. The PPAI Expo continues to build a lasting legacy by creating an extraordinary promotional products trade show experience. Industry professionals love the PPAI Expo, so much so it continues to be the largest, longest running, and best attended promotional products trade show in the world. Make your plans to join the industry's movers and shakers January the 13th to 17th, 2019 at the Mandalay Bay Convention Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. Register today at expo.ppai.org. This podcast has also been brought to you by our good friends at Sanmar. Sanmar believes in the power of promotional products. Since 1971, this family-owned apparel supplier has been dedicated to passionately serving customers through trusted brands like Port Authority, Nike Golf, OGO, District, District Made, and Sport Tech. You can check them out online at sanmar.com. Hi everyone, it's Johanna with Access Promotions and Promo Kitchen Chefs, and I'm here today with Mark. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with some great folks at Snugs. And we wanted to take a little bit of a different approach with our normal podcast, and we're doing something called Stories from the Floor. And on this series, we're going to talk a little bit about how things really work at a factory. We're going to talk about the machines and the setup and the people that are really helping run all of the production and hear some great war stories and how they got their start. So with that, I'd like to introduce everyone to Josh and Chris at Snugs, and we're going to hear a little bit about their stories and how they make tiny miracles happen every day. So Josh and Chris, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Yeah. So... Both of you, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you got started at Snugs and how long you've been there. Well, I was born in Texas where I grew up in Mexico. Then I think it was like three years ago, I moved to the States. And when I got here in Utah, it was last year, a friend of mine told me about this place and I came to apply because I wanted to find a job right away. <laughs> and I applied and since then I'm starting working here. Both of my parents are in the print industry and have been for my whole life. And they're still doing it today. They don't work for Snugs, but my dad owns his own company and my mom works for another print company. And so that kind of got me interested in following in their footsteps and coming here to Snugs. Snugs actually contacted my dad and had him come do some products over here for them. And so that's kind of how I got started over here. 
And Josh, how much production experience did you have leading up to your time at Snugs? I would say probably about six years. Right. So when you started at Snugs, you were coming into an environment where you were comfortable with manufacturing. And I know you're doing at this point label cutting, but that you had a comfort level that you were able to bring to the job. Yes, that's correct. Chris, I had a quick question for you, and then I'll send it over to Joe after this. I'm fascinated by your journey. So you arrived in the US, I think you said three years ago, and you were looking for a job and you had this friend of yours that described Snugs. How did they describe the opportunity or the company to you at that time? Well, she told me that it was a really nice place. The main focus that she had was on the people. The people are so friendly, you're going to love it. And they really help you. They work as a team. So I was like, oh, I want to be there. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And had you worked in a manufacturing environment in Mexico before you came to the U.S.? No, never. It was my first time. Right. So when you came to the U.S., did you learn English pretty quickly on the job, on the flow? Well, my grandma was born here. And since I was a child, I would like coming to say just like a vacation. Uh-huh. My cousins and friends and even my boyfriend, they were from here. So I'm kind of like familiar with English. Your English is amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so yo hablo español también. Yo soy cubana y argentina. Oh my God. That's so si hay algo que quieres decir en español, me puedes hablar en español. Ah, gracias. I, I don't think you're going to have any trouble. So don't feel like you have to speak Spanish. It's up to you. Sí, gracias. So tell us, when do you get into work? What's a typical day like for you when you get to the office? And run us through a sort of day in the life of, if you will. I get here at 6 a.m. and work till 2 p.m. And we have a table in our area that they have jobs set out on there. And they pretty much put them in order by ship date and just the way that they ship. Just so we don't have to guess on what we have to cut and we just don't have to think of like what we need to do next. But yeah, that's pretty much it. And they bring those out just as soon as they're printed. Got it. And Chris, what about you? I start at 5 a.m. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Sometimes at 4 (laughs) a.m. It depends on how much work I have. For example, this month and next month, like very busy for me, like crazy busy for me. And what I do first, see on that computer, how many jobs do I have to do? And some of the orders have to be done by 4 a.m. And some of them 8 p.m. So, of course, I'm going to start with the ones that need to go out first. And I do the setups and everything. And I just tell my people, you know what, you have to do this, you have to do that. When is the shift before both of you ending? For me... 7.30 a.m., I think. And for me, the last shift is at 6.30, so we kind of overlap a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you're having a meeting with the shift prior just to talk about what was done, what wasn't done, any emergencies, red flags, all that good stuff? Correct. I'm just curious about like the communication and how you guys communicate on jobs and what's the best system for you. Overlapping of the shifts helps a lot. Also, if somebody's late or there's not an overlap in the shift, we usually leave a note and kind of explain what's going on. 
Chris, same for you? For me, like I told you, I start at 5 a.m., but swing shift, I only have one person who is helping me right now. So basically on graveyard, I don't have anyone. So I only have to communicate with her. Right now we have to train more people. We are working on it. Chris and Josh, I'd be interested in both of your perspectives on this question. What is the most frustrating part of your job? For me, when the lasers stop working, oh my yeah. God, <laughs> because I know how much work I have and the lasers stop working and like, really do. <laughs> and what do you do at that point? The machine goes down. And, I mean, I suspect you can go to your supervisor or the manager of, of the line and say that the machine's broken, but at the end of the day, that's going to cause stress for you. Are, are there certain ways that you can work around that? Uh, <laughs> Like to manually print them or to manually cut them? Or what's the workaround? What's the solution? Well, I kind of learned how the laser behaves. So if it starts like engraving in a wrong way, I know what's the problem. So I just have to clean it again. It takes time. That's why I get frustrated. If it's something that I can fix, I have to tell my supervisor and she's going to send an email saying like, you know what, the laser is down. So another people come to see what's going on. And for example, yesterday, one of the lasers stopped working and it was like a piece they have to order and they have to replace the piece. So it's something that I couldn't have done, you know. But what happens to those products that are sitting idle that can't be produced because the machine has been broken? Is that something that impacts what your day looks like? Does that mean that production now needs to be absorbed by someone coming in at a later shift? How does your team adjust to that? Well, right now I'm working with three lasers. Two are the same kind of laser, Epilux, and the other one is Fiber One. So okay. one of them stopped working, but I still can get the work done on the other one and on the Fiber One. So it takes more time, but I still can the jobs. Right, right. It's not like you're sitting around waiting for it to be fixed. It sounds like there's some other machines there. That's so interesting. How about yourself, Josh? Tell me about the most frustrating part of your day. I agree with Chris. I think it's when any machine goes down, then it kind of just gets everybody frustrated because we have to push ship dates out if it can't be fixed that same day. But out in our cutting area, we've only got two different machines. The laser can cut everything. But our other machine that uses dyes to cut the product, if that goes down, then everything would just have to be moved over to the laser. But yeah, if the laser goes down, then it's kind of crucial. But other than that, I think if there's something wrong with the imprint on one of the labels or the printer leaked ink all over it and we have to kind of scrap that. It gets frustrating because then it's like, if they don't catch it, then it gets out to us. And if we start cutting it and it's in the middle of the job, then it's pretty much just scrap. And then we have to go back to square one and start all over. Right. You know, I can imagine that it's tough to lose that sense of power, right? <laughs> you're, you're trying to do your job and all of a sudden there's a key component that isn't working. Yeah. It means that your day is thrown off or you feel like you haven't succeeded in producing the products you're looking to do for that day. And I can imagine that's stressful. I think that's a good segue. And I'm curious as someone that's been involved in selling your product or being more on the front end side of this business, 
as to what the most difficult product is to produce, decorate, manufacture. I'd love both of your perspectives on that. For me, it's not that it's hard to do it, but it's the time it takes to get done. For example, this month and next month, I have tons of gift sets, so that's why it takes more time. Gift sets, is that right? Is that what you were saying? Because I have to engrave the wood boxes and then inside it go like some products made of glass. So I have to cut the foam to protect the, the item, you know. It's not that it's hard, but it's the time. Right. And then, of course, you're also involved in assembling all these different items that are going into this gift set. And so I could imagine that's just more labor intensive than just producing, say, you know, a bookmark or a lip balm just on its own. Exactly. Yeah. Josh, how about you? What's the most difficult product? When you see it come up in the docket, you're like, oh gosh, not this again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think it's just per product that we've got blades that we set up that actually cut the paper into individual sections that we have to put together after it's cut. Right. And I think the ones that I don't like the most are the ones where I have to use all six blades just because it takes so much longer to set up than if you were using two different blades to cut rather than six. Right. Like I said, it's not difficult. It's just all time consuming. And each individual product kind of has its own time frame that it works off of. Right. And presumably it's all been tested in advance. So that way you don't have something that's like completely inefficient and difficult to produce. If that were the case, I suspect it wouldn't be in the line. Yeah. I'll tell you this. So I had the opportunity to visit Snugs about a year ago and had a really interesting tour of the facility that the two of you work in. And I'll give you my answer, okay, of the product I would not want to be dealing with. So I was put through and given a couple of products that I was able to decorate, one of which was a traverse key fob. And I love that. That was like pretty straightforward. I was able to press a button, the die went down, it debossed my company logo on it. And I felt like I had really accomplished something great. It was very simple, but (laughs) I felt like I had accomplished something. Then I moved over to the screen printing area where the lanyards were being printed. And I'm probably not describing this process correctly, but it was amazing to me how time consuming and how difficult it was for someone like me. I'm not super skilled at this, so the bar is very low to line up all of these lanyards and then screen print them. And I think I got one of them registered correctly and all the other ones were like way off. And I actually have them in my office as a reminder of I should stick to my day job and not go into the work that the two of you do because, and I just thought to myself like, wow, I'm really, really bad at this. And then the person who was responsible for that particular station, he said, okay, move over, buddy. Let me show you how this is done. And it was just incredible to see how quickly and how efficiently he was putting this all together and how much of it really relied on having an accurate eye. So for me, if I get a job at Snugs, I want to be the D-Boss guy and not the, the screen print lanyard guy. So <laughs> you got shamed, Mark? I did. And this usually happens whenever I have the opportunity to visit a supplier factory. I'm just always amazed by the hard work that goes into producing these products. And as someone who has sold promotional products for so many years, it makes me think a little differently about every order that I now submit because I now know that there's someone on the other side who is actually producing this. And it's obviously win-win, right? Like everyone's making money on this, but 
it, it gives me a little bit more empathy as to what goes into this when you may have an unreasonable request in terms of delivery or an awkward logo to print. It gave me a sense as to what really goes into it. And I think it's really important for as many sales and marketing people in this industry to have as many factory tours as possible because it just shows you how things are actually made. It's very, very cool. Switching away from product, what's the best part about working at Snugs? I think the people, everybody makes you feel welcome and at home and we're all a family here. Nobody dislikes each other and if there is an issue, they work through it and move on so we can get the job done. Yeah, I agree with him. I like what I do, but the people are like, like a family. You don't feel like like stranger. <laughs> That's awesome. Makes it easier to show work every day. Yeah. I was saying this on another podcast. I follow you guys on social as well. You have a really strong social media. I'm not sure who's handling that, but you can really sense that, you know, through our clients and our suppliers and, you know, fellow distributors, you get a great sense of company culture through the social media. And you guys do a great job of showing some of the team building stuff you do and internal stuff you do. So kudos to management for keeping that up. Thank you. I'll just jump in. One of the coolest things about the Snugs website is if and anyone listening to this is you can go over to the about section on the snugsusa.com site and you can see all the pictures of all the team members who work there. Everyone from Brandon Mackey, of course, the CEO of the company, all the way across the organization. And it's really neat to be able to see the sort of the serious side, but then also the not so serious sides of everyone that works there. And I can tell you, you know, as, as someone that saw it firsthand, it was really neat to be able to see that exciting culture. I, I almost didn't feel like I was in a, in a manufacturing facility. I mean, you're, for someone who's not in a manufacturing facility all that often, you often, you know, have this picture of it being just maybe a dark place that is not terribly exciting. And of course, I'm maybe ignorant when I say that, but I came here and it felt like I was in like a high tech factory with people that were just having such a great time. And it felt like there was a real energy in the air. And also, I think a real sense of collaboration between all sides of the company. So that was kind of cool to see. I love that. I mean, you can definitely tell when it's the opposite, right, Mark? I mean, I'm sure you've had experiences where you've walked in and just don't feel like a synced up team. I've been in many, many factories, screen printing facilities, decorators, cut and sew apparel manufacturers in and around Toronto and many places that we've done business and walk in and, you know, they're very unremarkable places, very unremarkable and not all, but certainly some. And you walk into a place like Snugs. In this case, I'm just using this as an example based on personal experience. And it was like the exact opposite of unremarkable. So it was just something that I took note of. Awesome. And you've been to our office too. I know you just, I mean, obviously you bring good energy too, Mark, but it's good to pick up on positive vibes where you go. Putting you guys on the spot for a second, what's it like to work for and with Brandon? He's awesome. He's just really friendly and very cool. <laughs> just makes you feel young. Like he's, he's still good. a young guy, but you know, he just makes you feel like he's your friend and just part of the family. And it's really awesome to just have him come by and say hi and just see how everything's going and just know that you can go to him to talk to him about anything. And he's so funny. Yeah, he is funny. That helps. I'm smiling because that is really nice to hear. I think the more and more we do these podcasts and even learn and network with other people, it really does show how it stems from the top. I know, I mean, I work with Larry Cohen over at Axis and we have a good relationship. It's just so helpful. When you feel like you can talk to your boss, like you both just said, and that you feel like you're getting positive vibes. 
It's crazy to see how far this company has grown too, because we used to be in three separate buildings at one point, and now we're all in one. And it made it a little more difficult to have that communication when you're not just across the way there, when you have to drive like 10 miles or something just to get to the other location. Right. And that was your experience when you first started, Josh, because you've been at the company now for five, six years. Is that right? A little bit more. I mean, I had like prior experience working with my dad for six years. I've been here for, I would say, close to nine years. Right. And then Chris, when you started about two or three years ago, of course, it was in the current facility that you're in right now in West Jordan, right? Correct. Got it. I'm curious to know whether the two of you have ever run into a product in the real world that you personally made at Snugs. I was in T-Mobile one time and they had some hand sanitizer sitting up on their shelf there. And I was just curious because ever since I started here, I'll always be looking at lip balm labels or just like a hand sanitizer. And sometimes I can just tell like it was something that we made just by looking at it. I picked it up and I could tell, I think there was something on the label that said distributed by Snugs USA or something like that. So it was really cool, but it doesn't happen often. That was a few years back that I saw that. Yeah, it, it must have been a neat feeling. I know that whenever I am walking around in, you know, quote unquote, the real world, <laughs> and not only will I be looking for products in my own local market, which is in Toronto, that we actually made as a distributorship, but outside of that, I'll always be looking at apparel and bags and all of these things in stores. And I'll be looking at the labels to see like who made it. And, oh, that's a neat brand. That's maybe something I should keep in mind. And I think what this industry does, I would say this is mostly a good thing as opposed to a bad thing. I think it sort of worms its way into you. So that way, everything you see that's a product, you look at it in a slightly different way. So like, hey, I could make that or hey, where could I get that? And I suspect that you know, you, you had a little bit of that yourself when you walked into that store and you were looking at the lip balm. And maybe if you went in with a friend, they're like, Josh, what's the big deal? Why are you looking at that thing? It's just lip balm. You're like, no, it's not just lip balm. It's Snug's lip balm. <laughs> well, when, when you work in this industry, you just kind of look at things different. And like you said, you kind of think, oh, I wonder how that was made. Or, you know, it's written to somebody else that doesn't work in this environment. They don't think anything of it, you know? Right. Do the two of you ever think about the impact that your product, like the work that you do in producing the products you do at Snugs, what kind of impact that has on the world, like the positive impact that has on the world? Is that something that figures into your day in terms of how you're able to connect your work to a larger purpose? I always wonder like, oh, where is this going or whatever? You know, of course, when you see like a McDonald's lip balm or something with a really brand name, you know where that's going. But I feel like it's the little companies that you see a label and you always wonder, hey, are these giveaways or are people going to be really excited about this if they are given this product, you know? Right. Well, here's maybe a perspective I can give you. And Joe, I don't know if you have an example or two but I'll just give you this as one example that we've been involved in producing a couple of events for our software company that Snugs has actually been involved with. And 
each event, we produce a lanyard and a badge and, and then often a gift. So in the past couple of events that we've done, it's been one of the great Traverse products. And I can tell you when people get them and the people that we're targeting are people that are in the promotional products industry, mostly distributors, and then some suppliers as well that will be in attendance of these events. And it's like kids in a candy store when they get these products and specifically the Snugs products, which have got this great perceived value. People get them, they're feeling them, they're smelling them because the smell of the leather is fantastic. They're looking at the logo and they say, this is amazing. And here's how I'm going to use this. And they're taking pictures of it and posting it to Instagram as though it's the best thing that they've come across that particular day. And it's interesting from my perspective as someone that is involved in coordinating that event and designing the promotional products and ultimately getting people like you to produce them, that they have this really powerful emotional impact on the people who receive them. And that's kind of cool. And I suspect you probably hear those stories through the great work that Jeff Anderton and his team does at Snugs, but it is pretty cool. And you know, I don't think that you've got any doubt that the work you're doing is really, really important, but I can tell you from firsthand experience that it has a really positive effect. Joe, I don't know, do you have any examples of any Snugs gear that you've produced at Axis that's made a huge impact? This kind of leads into my next question and comment. Obviously, yes. I think the work that you guys have done, and you guys both mentioned how much the company's grown in the last few years and the changes you've seen with even building growth and changes. I think the line offerings you've offered, you guys are so much more than lanyards now. And I'm loving the Traverse. I think it's such a great opportunity, especially around this time of year for product. For us, it's really great to present that to the client. And the packaging element is just like such a bonus. It's so high perceived value, rustic, something you would see right out of a restoration hardware catalog. So we're really impressed by that. I know it's sort of right up the access alley, really good quality, good look, great imprint methods. So I'm really impressed by what has been offered and shown in the last couple of years. And I know with the, even the sneaker line, you guys have been really honest about launching that and sort of launching it too quickly and having to pull that back just because you weren't as prepared as you thought you would be with the outcome and, and how people wanted to jump on board with that. So my question for you sort of leading into that is, how has this great, great growth affected you guys, you know, personally and as a whole company? I think it's been a lot of product fast. So how has that been for you guys going from someone that was working on a lot of lip balm and a lot of lanyards to a completely different material, a completely different price point. I think we just kind of take it as it comes and we all have trial and errors when it comes to new products and we just try to do the best we can and try to make it work. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely giving you guys credit. It's not like you took a lanyard line and you said, let me add five new attachments. You guys really stepped out of the box and created a great new offering for your clients. And like I said, a great price point as well. Cause you know, at the end of the day, dollar and two dollar items are one thing. And then there's a big difference between 30, 40, even $100 price points. True. Yeah. I think it's just kind of taking a look back, just checking out your options and what's available for different products and what's going to work best for those particular products. I have one last question myself and then Joe, I can leave it to you to ask the last question. Not that we hope this happens all that often, but it's inevitable that there are going to be problems with orders, whether it's the wrong color that's been printed, whether it's a deboss that's been put on crooked, maybe it's the wrong logo that was sent over, maybe there's a legibility problem, like whatever that the case may be. 
What happens in your world when a distributor calls and has to reject an order of 500 Traverse bookmarks? How does that hit the floor? What conversation is had, particularly if it was an error on the factory floor? I get so sad <laughs> because I work for Traverse. I run the laser, but I work for Traverse. And we know how expensive the leather is or how expensive the whiskey stones are or the wood boxes. So when we do something wrong or the customer complain, we feel so bad because I just like to put in myself on the customer shoes, you know. So when I order something online and I don't get what I was expecting, I get so mad yeah. because I paid for it. I think like the customer is expensive and I didn't get what I asked for. So <laughs> I feel so bad. I mean, that's the human side to it, right? If in fact it was a mistake, it's not like anyone's doing it intentionally. But if that was an error that you had made, then it's very natural to be upset about that, particularly because you care for the company that you work for. So beyond that, is it as simple as identifying what the problem was and then going and reproducing it? Is it like that? Or is there something more to it? Is it looking at maybe the cause of the error was because of the way a jig was produced and that may need to be fixed somehow or changed because the error happened because of maybe something beyond just yourself? Yeah, I think it just kind of goes back to looking far back to where that actually happened. So it could be in the art setup, it could have been in the printer, having an error, not printing the right color. Once we get something back like that, we just have to go back to see what the issue is and figure out what went wrong in that process. Right. And redo the work. Yeah. So it's a lot of work and... We try to have as many eyes on this as possible so stuff like that doesn't happen. But I know we all have off days and just one person having an off day could cause that to happen. Right. And I'd say that anyone in this business, whether you're a distributor, a supplier, a service provider in this industry, mistakes are always going to happen. They're inevitable. We're human beings. But I think that the truly best of us in this industry, regardless of the job we have is how one responds to those errors and those problems. Like, do you learn from it? You deal with it constructively. And then oftentimes you can come out of that a better person because you're not going to make that mistake again. And I can certainly tell you there've been my share of many, several screw ups in my sales and marketing career. And hopefully I don't make the mistake twice, but I've always used them as an opportunity to deal with the problem head on and you learn from it and you move on. Yeah, it goes back to that saying, measure twice, cut once. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, guys, one of the things we should keep in mind here is that this podcast, a lot of distributors are listening, a lot of suppliers, a lot of great service providers. What's one thing each of you can share with your, this audience that people don't really know about the production in the floor and what you're doing? What's one thing that you'd like to share that might be a little bit eye opening? Maybe just the whole process itself, each individual product, just every single step that it takes. I mean, that's what's good about when people come here to actually see the process, just because then they get an understanding of like how it works. But each process takes its 
own time and there's some processes that take a lot longer than others. And what about you, Chris? Yeah, one day I don't remember what like in summertime a person came to me and he was like kind of curious like to see the process of how I I do the whiskey stones. So he was like, can I see? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I, I was doing the setups and everything and I, I engraved them. And at the end he was like, oh, that work you have to do just to get this. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, wow. I, I, I thought it was like something more simple. I was like, no, I have to do it like very carefully and it takes time. So that's why I get frustrated when I, I'm working with someone who's not like in the same rhythm than me, because I don't know, I feel like they working on this slow motion, and it gets me frustrated, because I know time is money, you know? Yeah. Every time someone visits a factory, whether it's you guys or Spectre, or I know a few folks in our New York office do yearly tours to like midnight snacks or Vantage Apparel, I've never heard someone say that was a waste of time, I think. There's so much you can learn from watching it and being there and seeing things with your own two eyes. We should really encourage distributors to make that sort of part of training. Well, and sometimes when you do something for so long, it all becomes automatic. And then when you have to actually show somebody, you're thinking of like all the steps that you have to take to get this right and to show them and hope you didn't miss a step in there somewhere. Right. Just a general comment that I was going to make here, Joe, is, and we've done a few of these podcasts where we've had the opportunity to speak to members of the operations and production side of our industry. And I think what's so interesting about all of this is that you have this renewed respect for what other people do in the business. And sometimes when you feel you're having a bad day, (laughs) you think about, like, I think about Chris, like when you're having a bad day, like that would be a really bad day for me. I don't know what I would do in your role. (laughs) I'd be freaking out. And and yet, you know, if, if you and I were to trade places, you might think that a bad day for me would be really terrible for you as well. And for me, it's like no big deal because I'm just used to it because I've just, I've been doing this for several years. Yeah. And I think the same thing can be said for when you see like a typical example in this industry, maybe a supplier will become a distributor. They move away from the supplier side and they want to go and start up a distributor business so they can go and start selling to end clients. And I've had many supplier friends that have actually done this and they've jumped over to start selling in the distributor side. And I'll talk to them in six months uh, after their job and I say like, hey, how are things going? And they'll say, oh, it is so hard. It is so difficult dealing with these end customers. They can't make up their mind. They're grinding me on price and blah, 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 blah. And you also have that same experience when a distributor moves over to the supplier side and it's just a totally different job. And I think before you make that switch, you often make these assumptions like, well, how hard could it be to be a supplier? How hard could it be to sell uh, promotional products to an end client? Or how hard could it be to print a lanyard? I mean, you're just printing a lanyard. And I think the reality is that all of those jobs are really difficult and they all have their moments. And I think for me, that's been a real eye-opener given that I've done a certain job in this industry for so long, but I just love exploring these different worlds. And I just want to thank the two of you for being so open and transparent with the highs and lows of your day. And it certainly made me more informed about what goes on in this industry. Agreed. Thank you, guys. It's definitely nice to hear a little bit from the other side and what it takes to make little miracles happen. We certainly appreciate everything both of you do. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to express like ourselves. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah. Is there anything you guys want to add? 
I think one of the cool things about working here too is also we do cross training here. So not only are we experts in our area, but we do cross training to kind of learn other areas as well. So we can help out if somebody's sick or somebody needs time off, but it just kind of gives you better appreciation for other people's jobs that actually work here that you don't do every single day. I really like the way we work here as a team, because like I was saying, for me, this month is very busy. So yesterday, people from different departments, they were helping me to get my work done. So that's amazing. And like, I've never seen them because they work like labs or any different areas that I don't used to go. They are working right now with me. So that's amazing. Like the teamwork. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Josh and Chris. This was a real pleasure to chat with the two of you. And thank you on behalf of the entire Promo Kitchen community. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.